Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome. It's Casey Covert, and I'm in a storytelling mood. We're in the middle of the holidays, and I'm actually sitting here in a very soft, comfortable, pretty cloak with a beautiful scarf. And boy, am I toasty and warm. And we have just been through a series of really, really cold days where the heat down here in southeastern Virginia The heat in the house could not keep up with the cold outside. So the inside temperature was in the low 60s. So we're now closer to 70. Anyway, thank you for coming to uh, spend time with me. And I just want to share some stories. I was going through some of the things that have happened And these are things that um, we don't get a chance to talk about, you know, when we're talking on the podcast or working together in classes or something. You know, it's all about helping animals, helping animals to live more peaceful, more productive, happier, more successful lives with their humans. And there's a lot of work that we do, and it's important work. These animals learn how to self-manage, and they go on to have these brilliant lives. Animals that were facing death recreate and reclaim their lives, and they do amazing things. And on the way to all these amazing things, all kinds of stories happen. And they... um just go all over the place. So when I was talking to people about today was about how animals read us and what they read and how you're, the way you carry yourself and the way you are, the way you present, the way you walk allows an animal to see who you are at an instant. Okay, so here's an easy one that we should all be aware of. When you are walking athletically, you're going to have your shoulders open, your head will be up, your pelvis will be tilted up a little bit, drawing your stomach in, your knees will be just a little flexed, And you'll be directly over your knees, like your hips will be over your knees, will be over your ankles, will be over your feet. And you'll have that tiny bit of spring in your step. And this is part of what we call collection. Collection is a way that we carry ourselves where we're pulling our body weight up off of our joints. So we're actually 
more free to move, more free to kick out, more free to run, more free to jump. And animals recognize that instantly. So one of the things you should never do with animals until you have gotten to this point of mutual respect and you've tested it very carefully, and that is don't sit down. Do not, in general, sit down on your behind. You should always be on your feet ready for action. Because these animals will put you in the most, oh yeah, conundrum circumstances, kind of just to see what are you made of. So I remember I was working with some gray seals at a zoo and they weren't my gray seals, they were somebody else's. And the person sat down on the side of the pool instead of crouching down where they're ready to spring up again. And I was like, whoa, don't do that. Don't do that until you've tested these animals under circumstances where they could take advantage of you. So how might they take advantage of you? Well, it's possible they would bite the people, but that's actually probably not what would happen. What they would probably do is these little gray seals would scooch along on the ground and all of a sudden come up onto the people's laps and they want the fish. And then the person would have a gray seal. They got big noses with big teeth. These animals were like 400 to 800 pounds. Yeah, I think that's how big they were. They were big. Anyway, that's not a good position to be in. You do not want to have the large incisor-like teeth of a gray seal right next to your juggler, where if you didn't feed them fish fast enough, it could be the last thing you did. Probably wouldn't be. They probably wouldn't actually do that. But so you need to stay ready for action. Now, if you're ready for action, the animal notices that. And I remember one time I went to help some people with a horse that was biting. And the horse would wait till they weren't paying attention, till they were turning their back. And then he would reach out and chomper them on the shoulder. Well, at this time, I, I've always had very fast reflexes. And at this time, I was pretty much at the peak of my reflexes. So I don't know why I was so cocky, right? But I was absolutely convinced that if I went in front of this horse and turned my back, like I was just that stupid, that this horse would actually try to get me and I would be so fast that I would surprise him just with the speed of my movement. He would be sorry that he tried to get me. And so I sat up, I would use bicycle mirrors a lot of times. And I go to the stall of this horse and the two owners are there. And I asked them exactly how it would happen. And they told me, and then I said like this, as I moved into position and I had my little mirror ready to watch this horse. And I was ready to turn around and surprise the heck out of this horse if he tried anything. And so 
I moved into position and I sat there and I waited and nothing happened. So I tried to be a little more vulnerable looking, a little stupider, a little like less on my center of gravity, right? And I glance over it at the owners and where first they had been very concerned for me, they didn't want me to get bitten. And now they just look frustrated and kind of angry. So I moved out of range for the horse. And as I glance over my shoulder, the horse is just looking there very contrite, like, how are you, Miss Cover? How are you today? And I told the horse, you did a good job. You know, that's good. And then I turned around. I was out of range now. And the owner said, we can't believe it. If it was us, he would have bitten us. We don't know why he didn't bite you. And I started to smile and I said, he didn't bite me because he knows it would make my day. He knows that I'm waiting for him. He recognizes that I set a trap, that I know who he is and I'm inviting him to take the dumb step. I look like I'm taking the dumb step but I'm actually the one setting the trap and that threw him off. He wasn't used to people being as wily as he was. Now this horse also wouldn't come when he was called so on and so forth. So we did a number of things with him and I think we kind of got him squared away in a very nice, gentle way after that. But I'm sure the owners remember it. And I also remember the fact that the horse never even tried me. Now, another time I was asked to go help people with a dog that was resource guarding. And if you don't know the term, it means that the animal has something and they don't want you to interfere with it. They don't want you to take it or touch it or whatever. It's like, that's mine, leave it alone or else. But one of the things that people do is they're not respectful of the animals and they don't share information with them. So here is something that you can do that can make your life with animals so much better. Talk to them. If you've been told not to talk to animals, I hereby give you permission to ignore that bad advice. There's a reason we talk. We talk to exchange information. So this was a husky, beautiful husky dog. And she came to my feet with this toy. So she wants to resource guard. And she comes right to my feet and chews on this toy where I might be, you know, likely to try to pick her toy up. Like sometimes people will think, oh, they want me to play with them. So I'll pick up their toy and throw it. Well, no, that's not what they want. And what they want is they want a possession contest over this thing. And one way to just take that off the table can be just to honestly tell the animal what you want to do and tell them ahead of time. Don't take the thing away and go, okay, I'm taking your toy. 
So what I did is she was chewing on this toy at my feet and I addressed her by name and I said, may I take your toy? So I'd already taught her the meaning of this signal. It's called the intermediate bridge and it tells the animal that as long as they hear that progression of the good, 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 they are correct and it will lead to reinforcement for them. It will lead to success. Okay, I'm going to pick up your toy. Good, 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 good. As I reach down and I pick up the toy, she just drops it and, and watches what I'm doing. I say, that's right. I'm picking it up. Good, 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 good. I pick it up. I look at it. I go, that's outstanding. I drop it and give it back to her. And then I turn my attention back to the owners. And the owners were sitting there with their chins on their chest. And I said, is that unusual for her? And they just kind of mutely shook their heads. Now, these were very intelligent owners, and they were very devoted to their huskies. But they couldn't believe that this husky just let me take her toy as if it were never an issue. But here's the critical difference. I told her, what I was going to do, I'm just going to pick your toy up and look at it. I'm going to give it back to you. Here I go. Good, 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 good. Picking it up. Good, 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 good. There it is. Okay, good. Giving it back. Outstanding. That's a really good dog. That's how simple it was. That's how simple it can be. Just think about it. If I gave you dinner, right, and you're hungry, you want to eat your dinner, and then all of a sudden, I just reach in the middle of your plate and start to take your food away. You might want to bite me. But if I say, let me check, there's a piece of glass here and I need to make sure there's none in your dish. Well, now you'd probably be kind of interested and you'd want me to check your plate. Then I say, okay, it's fine. Here's your food back everything's good. Never forget that. It's hard to beat the effectiveness of simply giving the animal critical information. Okay, so another story that is built around how we carry ourselves with animals is about a young man I know who had gotten into the habit, it was just an unconscious habit, of slouching forward as he walked. Now, remember I said, if you're athletic, you're going to be erect with your shoulders open. If you're slouching forward, you cannot be centered. You cannot be balanced for fast motion. And the animal knows that they know you're simply not ready for action. We were walking my big some of them unruly dogs. I think at that time I had four or five dogs. Anyway, we're walking on the beach and these dogs are pulling him in every direction. But if I took their leads, they would just all of a sudden be good dogs. If his father took their leads, they would all of a sudden be good dogs. But when he took their leads, they took advantage of him. So I stopped him. I said, could we try an experiment? 
I think the dogs are reading you as not being aware and athletic. They, I think they think you're an easy mark. Could you focus on holding your stomach in, your shoulders open, your head up, and walk very balanced? Don't lurch forward from one foot to the other. You know, don't land heavy on your foot, but always be kind of like holding your weight up, trying to lift your weight up to the sky, really, is what you're doing as you move your feet under this and reposition yourself and go forward. So he was a little mystified, but, you know, ready to make a test of it. Son of a gun. He did not have another problem with the dogs. That is how dramatic it was. So just remember, uh, diaphragm up, you know, stomach in. Tilt the pelvis so that you're kind of lifting. You're kind of lowering your hips and lifting the front of your hips as you pull your diaphragm in. Open your shoulders, and that's going to allow your head to be upright and erect. And just, you know, you don't have to be stiff about it, but just keep maintaining that posture as you move smoothly. Focus on smooth, even steps and keep your alignment. It'll do great things for you physically and it'll do great things for you with the animals. So there you go. Our animals read us on many levels. Now we've been talking about the uh, uh, posture, you know, like reading us as athletes, assessing how ready we are for action. But there is more. And sometimes we talk about people having charisma or command presence. And what the heck is this? And I think it is like an energy signature that you just kind of saturate the area. So the first time... I was aware of this is when I was training dolphins and the dolphins would want to be all over the map. They were like working with adolescent schoolboys if you were a substitute teacher and they had a great sense of humor and they were so smart and funny. But if you were not up to the challenge of keeping up with them, you would not like dolphins. I think that anybody that could keep up with dolphins found them absolutely wonderful, fascinating, and the most wonderful animals to work with. So you come in, and what I would do every time before I would actually go in to work with any of the animals is I would just meditate for a minute. And I would just clear my mind. I'd get rid of all the stress that I brought to work with me and any worries or preoccupations, unfinished business. And I would reach out to those animals in my mind and I would just invite them to come play. Like, let's do this, guys. 
And I'd sit there for a minute and then all of a sudden I would spontaneously start to smile and I knew that we were ready to go. And then when I would be in front of the audience, you had to maintain this open, congenial, welcoming energy for the dolphins, but also for the audience. The audience wants to see everything, experience everything. And you know, they really didn't have enough energy to do all that. I mean, it was so exciting and fascinating to watch the animals. It took everything they had, but they still had to listen to what I was saying. I wanted them to think about the animals and the uh, environment. I wanted them to care about those things and take care of them. I felt like I was taking people on a magic carpet picnic. And my job was to fly the magic carpet. I set them all down. I feed them a wonderful feast of a meal. And then I fly them around the room on my energy so that they were free to just enjoy the experience. And I I didn't think about that very much. But later on, I realized that that was not the way that everybody was like I had a lot of energy I could marshal a lot of energy and I wasn't even aware like I didn't feel I didn't feel like oh I have a lot of energy I just was able to do this and I could do it for a long time but people that I knew and loved like my sister my mother they would say things like oh my god I can feel you before you come in the door Or your energy is trying to take over the world. And I'm like, really? What? What is my energy? And I would ask my friends about it. And I think a lot of my friends had a similar energy and a similar ability. And they're like, we don't think you have high energy. But I found out later, I do have high energy. Like when people tried to keep up with me, they would get exhausted. If I left the room, All of a sudden, they would feel deflated. And I'm not trying to let the people down, but while I'm there, I'm maintaining all this energy. Then when I left the area, that energy wasn't there anymore. And a couple of trainers that had come over to work with me came to me after hours, and they literally said, "Uh, Casey, we think you're draining our life force. What? Get back to work. Let's go. It wasn't until much later that I think I understood what was going on. And it's not that I'm taking their life force, but rather when we get together to work, we boogie. We work hard. We do a lot of stuff. We flow from one thing to the next to the next. And as always, it's my job to lay down the energy for everyone to keep the mood light and the action going and so on and so forth. And then when I leave, it may feel like the life energy has gone away, but I didn't take it. I mean, I took mine. I didn't take theirs. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, if I was actually living off of somebody else's life energy, I would be 
unable to move until a new victim came into place. And it's interesting because I have a new assistant. And she's the most amazing person. But we were wor working together all day. And then I said, all right, I'll go over here and do this. And I'll leave you to finish here if that's okay. Yep, that's fine. So I go off to do my thing. And when I got done, I go back. And she said, you know what? When you left, it's like somebody pulled the rug out from under me. And it really took me a minute to get myself back together again. And I said, wow, we need to study that. We need to learn more about that because you're going to be able to do that too. And it is an important skill. It's an important leadership skill. It's an important teaching skill. It's an important healing skill. When you pick up an animal that is ailing or injured, you don't want to have them use their energy for anything but healing. And so we support them energetically every way that we can. So how does this reflect on you? going to recommend you try what I suggested and just spend a few minutes meditating. So if you study meditation, they'll say, well, at least 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. But you know what? Until that's a natural thing that you want to do, you don't have to do that much. It can make all the difference in the world if you sit for two to five minutes before you go in with that animal Clear your field. Put your focus on the animal. Invite them in. Welcome them in. Congratulate them on how amazing they are. Tell them clearly what it is. What adventure are you going to have together that day? And then go forth to meet them in real time and enjoy every minute of your playtime together. It is a most wonderful journey to work with and teach and learn with and from animals. So enjoy the heck out of it. And to enjoy it, be ready for it and be ready energetically. And when you start out, it's hard. When new trainers started out, they'd only work with an animal for three to 10 minutes, 10 minutes at the most. And it would be so mentally exhausted that they would pull to the side and fall asleep if they had half a chance. And I remember mothers calling me, what did you do to my child? Came home and he slept immediately, blah, blah, blah. That's how mentally draining it is to keep up with another being in real time. And trainers have to do that. And when you get used to it and get good at it, you can go for hours and hours and hours. But it's like lifting weights. You have to learn to do it. Okay, so we covered your athletic stance. We covered clearing and collecting and cleaning your energy and we covered explaining to the animals what you're going to do. Now, there's another thing 
And we talked about it in a past podcast, the whole thing of transparency. And transparency is where you're just really honest with the animal about what you want, what you're doing, and you have rules of engagement. So for example, I will tell an animal exactly what I need from them and I will not take anything extra. So let's say I need to get a hair sample from one of the animals and we're on the first step of it. And I say, I just want to touch the top of your paw. Would you put your paw here and I'm going to touch it for the count of one. Ready? Good, 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 good. And now I'm off of it again. Okay, I'm going to touch it for two. Are you ready? Good, 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 good. One, two, X. And now I'm off again. And so we would progress until I could actually pull the hair and then I could clip the hair and so forth. But let's say I ask the animal if I can touch him for one and he does let me touch him for one and then he just leaves his paws up there. So I could just take the hair sample. I don't do it. I tell the animal, that's great. You left them up long enough. I could have cut your hair. Do you want to do another step? We only take what we got permission to take. Then we take all these little steps and we do it this way. Next thing you know, the animal's like, well, okay, okay. This is easy enough. Let's get it over with. And they're pushing their paws towards you so that you can get the hair sample. And, you know, you can say, can I go ahead and take the hair sample? Now I'm just going to uh, hold your, your hair up and clip for two. One, two. You ready? Here we go. Pulling. Good, 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 good. Clip, clip. Good. We're done. And you've got your hair sample, which, by the way, they used to, uh, you know, find nutritional condition in the animals and uh, with polar bears, the condition of their hair, whether they've got chemical damage to their hair. Uh, if, if you didn't know, polar bear hair is transparent and it's hollow. So if you get damage to the hair and let's say there's an algae bloom in the pool, you can end up with green polar bears. Or if you put algicide in the pool, that's often blue colored. So you can end up with blue polar bears. Yeah. So anyway, there's a lot of reasons that we have to check things like their sample, their hair. But when you explain all this stuff and you only, you respect their sovereignty, you give them the opportunity to give you permission and you honor that permission and you don't just steal anything from them just because you could. Now, if you want to see what that looks like in real life, take a look at sinalia.com slash press, scroll down to the video, and you'll see Jordy the Rhino. And I wanted to uh, put a syringe tube in the hole in the abscess under his horn. And... When I asked him to let me do that, he took his head away. He turned away suddenly. And I turned away at the same time. And I told him, I won't take this from you. You have to give it. I will not take it. And so I turned away. And then he came back and I came back. 
I think he was worried because when he came back, he almost, he was just searching on the ground like he'd spilled his food. And I think he was just distracting himself. And he's like searching the ground for food that isn't there with this little bit of desperation, like Casey, hurry up and do it. Well, I didn't do it. I moved the syringe into position. And do you know, he threaded it right into the hole in his abscess. And I was astonished because theoretically they can't see very well. And so if he can't see, and he certainly can't see the hole in top of his horn. So how could he thread that syringe right in there? So I can't answer that question. All I can do is tell you he did. And I think you can see it if you watch that video. Okay, so thank you for sharing some more animal stories with me. Stories about how animals are so amazing and such worthy colleagues, but also adversaries sometimes. I don't mean that in a terrible way. It's not that they're, uh, they're usually not aggressive or mean or dangerous, but they are certainly worthy of careful consideration and careful treatment. All right, everybody, thank you for spending some time with me. You take care and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Hey fans, are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Cover on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.